Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to another episode of Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Andrew Gillis. And we're going to wrap up a little bit of what, how, anything else we heard at Big Ten Media Days. And then we're going to go through some rapid-fire questions that uh, Nathan had asked last week while I was still on vacation. And there's still some really good ones that are left over. But before we get into some of that stuff, uh, Nathan, we'll start with you. We, we did hear a couple of names, whether from Ryan Day or Kate Stover or any or Marvin Harrison Jr. or JT Tuimaloau, that were maybe mentioned as guys of – maybe in the mix at battles or just had a good off season. Who's one name that maybe stood out to you that one of those four people said? Well, I thought it was interesting that Luke Montgomery's name got dropped and I don't know how realistic that is, that he would actually be in the mix in a real way this fall, but Ryan day brought him up unprompted and told a story about telling him. Um, uh, well, let me see. It said, I told him the other day, I said, I know you're a true freshman, but you came here to play. So that should be your mentality. Now, whether you play in the first game or not, I don't know. Maybe you don't play this year. But he sees things in him, things he thinks are encouraging, and uh, everything you invest in him, you're going to get back, that sort of thing. And I think more, you know, obviously the tackle battle and where that stands and and what we see in the early stages of camp as far as Josh Fryer, uh, Josh John, Jimmy Simmons, is that what we're calling him now? Mm-hmm. Um uh, Tigris Shabola, uh, what we see from those guys uh, early in camp is going to be important. I, I think it's important to hear Luke Montgomery's name as someone who could be ahead of schedule. And again, I think Day makes the right, phrases it the right way. Like, who knows if he's even going to play this year? I think it's more an acknowledgement of what they see from him long term and that he is on that path. He's not someone who they're having to like, pull along as a freshman that even as a true freshman, he's doing enough things to impress them that it's not ridiculous to mention him in even like a too deep capacity. Andrew, I know you're still getting the chance to know some of these players on the roster, but as you've been maybe peeking through the roster and trying to get backstories on certain people, do you think it's reasonable that Luke Montgomery, a former you know top 100 recruit in the 2023 class as a true freshman could maybe win a starting job? 
Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it's not unheard of for freshmen to start at the college level. I just think it is so difficult because there are, you know, especially at that position, um, you know, when you when you talk about the offensive line, I mean, you're talking about a kid who was in high school last year, a kid who, I mean, they have him listed on the site at 6'4", 298. I mean, that's that's a good size for, for a freshman. But, I mean, what kind of 298 is that? You know, like you, you never know what a kid's coming in at. You never know what a kid is going to look like. I mean, you're, you're going up against, I mean, grown men now, and, and he was in high school last year. Like it's a different ball game. So I'd be, I'm curious to kind of watch that when we're able to watch practice during, uh, during fall camp. I, I think that that's going to be interesting just to kind of see how, how do you handle that weight? How do you handle that strength? I mean, if, if you can get any, I mean, if you can, if you play him, I, I think it kind of goes back to the quarterback conversation. I don't know. And, and you guys would probably be better to answer this question. Like, I don't know if it's a, oh my God, they have to start Luke Montgomery. The sky is falling. They have a true freshman, like give a true freshman at one of their tack. Like this is terrible. They're in trouble on the offensive line. Or do you look at it and say, okay, well, Luke Montgomery played so well in fall camp that you have to get him on the field. I, I don't know. So I'm just, I'm curious to see kind of how he holds up physically, um, you know, because I mean, obviously you can impress, but the longer that this goes, you know, the more endurance you're going to have to build up, the more the more durability you're going to have to have. It's a really tough thing to do to play offensive line as a true freshman. So that's, um, I mean, like I said, it's not unheard of. I, you know, it, it's not something that, you know, it would be a total surprise and it's never happened before. Um, but I, I just think that it's going to be really, really difficult for him. And, and he almost has to prove more than I would assume some of the other guys to try and get into that starting lineup. Yeah, to me, it's it's not even necessarily like whether he could start on opening day. I think, it, again, it's all about one of those, like you're looking for these like checkpoints in a guy's development. And I think to hear Ryan Day talk about him that way at Big Ten Media Days before the freshman year even starts is sort of an important checkpoint. Because we don't know how good the tackles are going to be this year, or really anybody on the offensive line outside of Donovan Jackson and, and probably Mike Hall, or I mean uh, Matt Jones. <laughs> I'm riding the bus for him so hard that I'm pulling We're over. We're doing that next week. Ball. Can you hold <laughs> off on your bus rides for four days, please? I think we can. Yeah, we. Uh, but but you know what I'm saying that if if there's a tackle issue mm. later this year, there's an injury later this year, and they're forced to move somebody up. Is he ready for that later this year? What about a year from now in or next spring if they decide, you know, the tackle play was good, but if Luke Montgomery's made the jump, you know, those guys are still going to have to defend their jobs, it, it, the guys that are still here and wanting to, to stay if he's coming. So I, I think Ohio State needs a jump in the talent level on the offensive line again. It just lost a lot of NFL talent. It needs to be pushing back towards that. He's of the youngest of the young group. He's the guy that's the the most ready it would seem to be able to do that. I think he's on the Harry Miller, Paris Johnson, Donovan Jackson plan, even if he doesn't have that five-star rating. I think he's setting himself up to be a starter in 2024 as a second-year guy. Um, it's hard. It, that dude had a lot of physical development to go. He in, Andrew just listed he's 298. I mean, he was like 250 pounds of a year ago at this time. And so he's undergone some physical yep. transformation there, but I think there's a role for him this year. And I think we saw Donovan Jackson play it in 2021, that tackle eligible 
number 41 jersey on the offensive line in the red zone. I mean, we've seen now two years of them trying to do that as they've tried to figure out how to run the ball in short yardage, which is this team can get you 25 yards easily, but getting one yard sometimes looks like the, the hardest chore in the world for them. I think he'll easily have that role. You give it to a young guy if you if you think that he's not quite there yet, but he deserves to be on the field, and that was the case with Donovan Jackson at 21. I think that's what we're going to see here in in 2023 with Luke Montgomery. Let me, it, let me ask you this. If, if Tegra Shibola were to win the right tackle job, we don't know. It, it, it may be Simmons. But if, if, if he were to win the right tackle job this fall, do you think Luke Montgomery is the starting right tackle next fall and they would bump Shibola back inside? Or do you think Shibola yes. is a tackle? Uh, I, I, think, I think they would bump him back inside. For sure. Uh, but also, um, I don't know. We can say stuff sometimes. Josh Pryor is probably the left tackle at this point, at least the way that JT Tuimaloa was talking about him, which we can get into here in a second. I, what do we think Josh Fryer's actually, no, let's get into the Josh Fryer conversation because that's who I want to bring up next say on this offensive line talk. What do we think Josh Fryer's NFL ceiling is? Like, Do we think that he's a guy who is draftable one day? It's a good question. Um, I don't think we've seen enough from him. I haven't seen enough from him in game situations mm-hmm. to like make that determination. And I don't want to make that determination solely on his recruiting pedigree or whatever, right. because that I don't think is fair. And we've seen guys exceed or uh, undershoot those those sorts of expectations. Um, could he someday be what you know? Um, what Thayer Munford was, which is as far as his, as a draft prospect, which is a guy who goes in the lower rounds and early in his career in the right situation gets in the mix. I, I, I'm not going to say that's that's out of the question. Um, and the NFL needs backup offensive linemen too, obviously. So it, as far as can, could he someday make a roster? Maybe. But I, for me personally, I think it's a little too early to make that determination. And I think also we have to remember – and we've talked about this already, but like someone like Brandon Bowen was an NFL camp player, but wasn't an NFL player. Didn't quite get mm-hmm. there, but that guy can still be very valuable on an offensive line. Can be the starter on a team that was national championship caliber, really in 2019. The issue is that team had was really solid. Those other four spots he didn't have to do as much. You're asking Josh Fryer to be the left tackle. We're repeating ourselves a little bit because we talked about a lot of this stuff in the spring. But I would say that the most important thing is what we're hearing about Josh Fryer now. People do seem to be optimistic about where this is going. Um, and is, you, you can get into what JT had to say about it. But there are indications that Ohio State is a little bit more comfortable with this as it gets into the fall. And that's not a shock. We thought that there was a chance that, you know, the spring with the defense being ahead, that that wasn't going to look as good. And that with a summer of development, that maybe Josh Fryer could be in a better position this fall. I He's older. Um, he still has two years after this, just because the NCAA decided to give everybody a six year for whatever reason. That's <laughs> that's going to be stupid until we get out of this era of college football players. 
So I, I don't know. Maybe he's not. But, but the bigger thing I'm getting at here is whatever their best offensive line is in 2023, all of those options can come back. And that doesn't mean it's their best offensive line in 2024. So Josh Fryer is probably the left tackle, and there's a battle at right tackle between Jimmy Simmons, uh, Tegra Shibola, um, Zin Maholsky. I get Luke Montgomery has thrown himself into that that conversation at least to be in the two deep at the bare minimum. We know who the guards are in Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. Donovan Jackson might go pro after this year. We'll see because he'll be a two year starter in year three. And then Carson Hinsman, Vic Cutler, and Jacob James is where the battle is at center. None of those names outside of Donovan Jackson blow you away. Like I don't think any of us are going. Oh, that's a super talent. I just think it's a decent offensive line. So. I see a world where they figure it out this year and Luke Montgomery is just not ready yet because he's 18 and it's okay that he's not ready to play on the offensive line at 18. That's you got to be real special. And also they got to really need you. Michael Jordan, they, they didn't have the other options when he did it, but you get through this year. It's good enough for you to be able to do everything you want to do, even if it's not elite. And then you press reset in January and Josh Fry might be your starting left tackle in 23, but Luke Luke Montgomery can take the job in 2024. Or you hit the transfer portal again and see where you find. But I think this is an ongoing, fluid conversation, and that's why I asked that question because it's not a we're we're not trying to just figure out this year's offensive line. We're trying to do that because we're trying to get ready for a season. But the long term solution still is not available because of recruiting misses that we've talked about endlessly over the last couple of months. Yeah, and uh, you're right. So uh, again, that's why I keep coming back to Montgomery. I, I I think that that is a much more what what Ryan Day said today, or, or the earlier this week, I should say, floating his name in regards to 2023 is much more intriguing to me for what it means for 2024. Because you're right, it a lot of this stuff gets thrown back in the the hopper, and um, they they come up with something new because they're going to need a new left guard. I don't think Don, Donovan Jackson could come back, but. He's not on that trajectory. Seems like he's on a, a comfortable NFL trajectory right now. We'll see. Matt Jones, it, does he want to stick around for another year? Especially if he has a good year. So there's going to be there's going to be some shifting pieces. So with Josh Fryer, uh, and then we'll bring Andrew into this conversation as well. Uh, JT Chuimaloa, he, he he talked about his development throughout the spring and how he brought confidence. Time after time. That was the big thing with, with Josh Pryor. And the way the question was asked was, I mean, we all saw it in the spring. The defensive line was kicking the offensive line's butt on most days. And it, it's how do you stay confident while you're trying to develop, you're trying to learn blocking schemes, you're trying to lo- win, win all this, you're trying to learn all this stuff. Meanwhile, you're getting your butt kicked every time you go competitive. And JT brought up the fact that, well, one, Josh Fry is one of his be- better friends on the team. And after every practice, they would sit together and they would go through stuff. And when Josh Fry would win one-on-ones, he would explain to JT like what he did to win that rep. But more often than not, it was JT explaining to Josh some of the stuff he was doing to, to help Josh just kind of get better at this. And so th- you're playing developmental guys. And so there has been a little bit more of a – it's not just the coaches getting involved in helping some of these players get better. The defensive line has been just as vital – and helping some of these offensive linemen improve. Andrew, I'll ask you this. As you've gotten a chance to get to know some of these players, just what have you? What are your overall thoughts on where Ohio State's offensive line and the status of it as we enter fall camp right now and some of the names we've thrown out there? You, you froze for me there. 
I heard, okay. what are your overall thoughts? And then he froze. Um, just the offensive line. Just I'll, like I'll edit some of this out. Yeah, just okay. Just on, like as a whole, yeah. or yes. Okay. I'm trying. To, you're still trying to learn stuff, so I'm trying to keep questions as general no, yeah, as possible. Yeah, I, for yeah, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know, I I know one of the things that everybody's kind of, I mean, you guys have talked about it. And I know fans are worried about it. I know, you know, Ryan Day's talked about it. You know, the tackle situation is is obviously going to be something that I'm I'm going to look at closely here when we get to camp. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see like kind of what <laughs> it's funny because like I'm excited to see like what everybody's talking about. You know, because you, you can see this, but it's you can hear this, you can listen to it. It's different to see it with your own eyes. So I want to see kind of how the tackle situation plays out. Um, you know, I know that that's going to be especially if you're bringing along a young quarterback, like a quarterback, or I, and I should say young as in inexperienced, you know, young as in guy hasn't played a whole lot, guy hasn't taken a lot of reps uh, in games. I think that's going to be something that I really want to look at and I really want to see. So, you know, I mean, you just think about this offense just conceptually, like you, you have the receiver talent, like that's not a problem. You know, you have the running back talent, that's not a problem. You know, you have what, you, you know, you, you I mean, everybody believes in Cade Stover at tight end. Like, if you're able to get anything out of out of your offensive line that that is better than what you think it could be now, you're going to be feeling really good about this unit moving forward. I mean, all of this is, you know, it's complimentary, right? Like, if the offensive line is good, then you're going to be feeling better about Kyle McCord. So I think the tackle situation is probably what I'm, I'm most focused on here as we get, you know, closer to the season. Obviously, Luke Montgomery, like we talked about, but – um, I, I just, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. I want to see some one-on-one drills and, um, or at least, you know, 11 on 11 drills with, uh, with Ohio state's defensive line. Like I think that that would be really, uh, really enlightening to see how, how, you know, if Luke Montgomery has to block JT in practice, how does that go? Like that, that's going to be a really interesting part of uh, of fall camp for me. So what other names got thrown out there, Andrew, who, who are some of the names you heard? Well, Sonny Styles was the one that that Cade Stover mentioned, and uh, you know the you know somebody asked him you know why Sonny Styles, and, and he said freaky, um, you know I mean, and you you just kind of look at his athleticism and and his body type, like that's a player who who very clearly fits that mold, um, you know you you just you look at who he is, I mean he's six foot four, and uh, you know he's he's almost two hundred and thirty pounds, like. Like that's a player who I like. I know I was reading Ohio State. You kind of used him as a linebacker. They kind of used him in the box. They used him in a couple different ways. When you're that big on defense, you can get used kind of all over the field, and you can kind of be a Swiss Army knife. And I think that with Sonny going into this year, if you can tap into that potential, just putting a lid on opposing offenses is such a big deal. And if you're able to do that, whether he's able to play as a uh, kind of more of a, a center field free safety at times if you even if you play him in the box that's just that's just a weapon that not a lot of teams in college football can have at a high level if you kind of have that player so Sonny Styles was one that uh, that Cade Stover was really excited about and I mean frankly that made me kind of really excited to watch him next week at practice Nathan I'm going to make you do a mini market down Friday Will Sonny Styles be with the ones when we get to practice on August 3rd? Figure it out Friday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, man, it's a great question because, yeah, I think what what we've been waiting for, what I've been waiting for, is for Ohio State to graduate to the place where it has a guy 
whose position is him. Like Sonny Styles plays Sonny Styles. That might mean something different on a given series, maybe even a given play. Um, we've seen other, you know, next level defensive players in college do that. And uh, I, I feel like that that's something that they've had in the back of their minds. I think that's been the baseline of the, the impetus of the bullet. If we're going to bring that up. I mean, that was always like, it's, it's been in the background of a lot of these, the terminology and the way that they've talked about developing this defense. Now that's been confusing for us at times because we haven't known exactly what that means for Sonny Styles specifically as far as where positionally he's going to fit in. I'm, 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 I'm vamping a little bit here. I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. I think Sonny Styles might be with the ones on Thursday. That's there. There seems to be a momentum building there that they've decided that he is truly one of the 11 best right now or certainly would blossom into better than that over the course of a year with the right experience. And I think they will find a place on the field for him. Now, that's then the counter question is which of the three safety spots is he at with the ones on Thursday? Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't want to uh, make your head explode, so I didn't want to go that far with it. But <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. I am very interested to just see what he looks like. I think that's one of the best things about when we, whether it's spring practice or fall camp, it's the first time you've seen them in pads for a while. So what is that? He's 6'4", 228. And they also have him listed as a junior. So shout out to you, Sonny Styles, for getting through school as quickly as you can. It has nothing to do with his football eligibility, but it's pretty cool. I wanted to know what 6'4", 230 pounds in a body that carries weight as easily as Sonny Styles does looks like. And if that's with the twos, I think we're all going to be like, how do you have that on your team and you're not starting it? Because to your point, Sonny Styles has the best case of anybody on this team to be, he just plays himself. And they haven't really had, because even Chase, he was defensive end in the Wisconsin game. They used him as, oh, he's just Chase Young. We're just going to let him stand up and pick his pick his gap that he wants to attack. But we haven't really seen the full season. This guy just gets to play himself, and he wreaks havoc. And when you have a guy who's six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, but moves like he's six foot two, one hundred and ninety five pounds, to your point, Nathan, that opens up possibilities. Maybe. And so when they say things like, oh, they're learning all the positions, Lathan Ransom has played both bandit and adjuster. During his time here, he's also played in the slot. So those two guys, you probably can. It doesn't matter which from snap to snap, which one's the adjuster, which one's the bandit. While your nickel, depending on the down, is either a cornerback playing it or a safety playing it. Yeah, and we have to be a little bit careful because obviously there have been, I mean, a lot of those guys are, are physically impressive. You know, someone like Court Williams, I have always thought was was you know a physically impressive guy but just hasn't had, because of injuries, because of other things, hasn't mm-hmm. found a place to get on the field. But with Styles, it's it's there's a different physical makeup there, especially with the height. And then the fact that he, everyone was fine with him showing up here early and getting that clock started early tells you a little bit. You know, the word that, that, that Stover used was freak. And um, I don't think that just necessarily means... He does freaky things in the weight room. That, to me, is more that they're starting to see that uh, show up on the field more and more as they as they rep more and more. 
which gets into the what Jim Knowles talked about in the spring, dominating the twos. As he if he's getting comfortable and he's doing stuff that Cade Stover is calling him freaky, I mean just probably starting to dominate the twos. Now they've been doing drills. It's not like they're playing football, but I, I even if he's not a starter on August 3rd, I won't be shocked if that flips sometimes within the first 14 days of fall camp. If we're out there and we're seeing he's dominating with the twos, because if we're seeing it, that means the coaching staff sees it. And speaking of twos, I want to use Kenyatta Jackson to have a conversation about the defensive line because of the way Ryan Day talked about the defensive line. We know Larry Johnson likes to rotate. And how he rotates sometimes has been a discussion on multiple sites at this point and whether he does it, whether it works or not. Ryan Day didn't talk about the defensive line as if it was this deep rotation. He brought up specific names and they're the specific names you would think he would bring up. Obviously, JT Tuimaloa, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Talik Williams, Tawan Malone on the interior, Ty Hamilton on the interior, and, on the, and then JT Tuimaloa on the outside, Jack Sawyer, Caden uh, Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, who has been flashing all spring. We talked about him going back into the spring. Nathan, does it feel like the defensive line is in a better place than it's been the last two years? And I know that's a very open-ended question that can go a lot of places. And it's a little, it's not, I won't say irresponsible, but it's just kind of out there. But it feels like we're heading into fall camp and Ohio State already knows who its guys are on the interior and on the edge of that defensive line. I mean, there's absolutely the potential for this to be the best defensive line since 2019, right? There's, mm-hmm. that, that's within this group's reach, I believe, from what we saw this spring and just the, the progression that all these guys should be on. That it would be a third year for Tuimiloau and Sawyer, a second year for Jackson, who seems to, as you say, like there's there's some stuff building there. Mike Hall, third year. Tyler Williams, third year. Like it's it's just coming into focus for so many of these guys. Like they're on schedule to be playing their best football this year. So I don't know if I'm predicting that, but it won't surprise me if if it happens. And the way he talked about Jackson was interesting because he started the conversation talking about his physique. He said he's mm-hmm. 250-something right now, 255. He looks great. I think they listed him at 252 in the spring, so I don't know if that means he's up a little bit. Um, but he said we need Kenyatta to play for us this year and have production, but he looks like an NFL player right now. And that second, that last sentence, I don't think he's talking about his physique anymore. I mean, part of it is physique, but I think he's talking about what he does when he's going up against other offensive linemen, when he's comparing him to the other defensive linemen on this team. I think that we had indications that that was coming, and I think Doug was eager to drive the bus for Kenyatta Jackson, and now he's not going to get to do that. So I guess that leaves him up for grabs. This year, this <laughs> whenever we get around to that, uh, yeah, you, you snooze, you lose, and so uh, I think he'll be a popular pick among our texters for something like that because it's it's you're you're ready. This this program, this fan base is ready for a return to that sort of edge presence, and it's been, eh, it, it's been fine. It hasn't been the Ohio State expectation of the previous decade. And they're, they're ready for that to come back. And they're just as they were eager to, to put it on Zach Harrison or, or Tyreek Smith, they're going to be eager to put it on Kenyatta Jackson. But much like the Luke Montgomery conversation, 
you're hearing the right things. Um, even if like compare it to what the way Larry Johnson and people on this team might have been talking about a second year Zach Harrison, I, it, it feels different. Um, that and they they don't seem to be trying to pull back expectations right now. That might be me, <clears throat> excuse me, reading too much into this, but it feels like they're you know we've we've talked about this before, right? That like they don't want to when a guy is is getting too much hype they pull back and when they feel like he needs a mm-hmm. boost they give him one um and this doesn't feel like they've they feel any reason to not let some hype build for for what Kenyatta Jackson is angling towards right now I think the Zach Harrison comparison is very good I think the difference is Zach Harrison's sophomore year he didn't have a dude in front of him or a guy we thought was going to be a dude and so all of a sudden we're asking a second year guy. It's very even with Chase in 2018, and Chase was amazing. But it was in it, throughout the offseason, when you go back and look and you read stuff, it was in combination with Nick Bosa. It was, oh, he was the guy after the and in that conversation. Zach had to be the guy in year two, and maybe he was never supposed to be the guy. He was always supposed to be number two. Kenyatta Jackson, even when JT and and Jack showed up, the pressure was first on Zach Purse. Kenyatta Jackson's kind of in that same situation where, now if he's a 10-sack guy, Larry, play him like he's a 10-sack guy, especially if JT and Jack make it very clear through the first four weeks that they're not 10-sack guys. But he doesn't have to be if JT and Jack are what we thought they were when they came in here as recruits. Andrew, thoughts on the way Ryan Day talked about the defensive line depth? Yeah, well, you know, I think just conceptually, you can you can throw a bunch of names out there, and, and you know, obviously, you just need, you need somebody there on the outside because you have JT, right? Like, if Tumaloao is what everybody wants and kind of what he talked about with that consistency, like, if you get that level of play that, that he hopes for himself – that everybody kind of hopes that and sees from him. Then you've got Mike Hall in the middle. I mean, that I mean, like you, I mean, you threw out all the names: Jack Sawyer, Kenyatta Jackson. Like, you don't need. I mean, obviously, you would prefer it, but you don't need to have. You know, just okay. Well, we need this guy, like you said, to to play. You know, ninety percent of the defensive snaps. Like, if you can get a solid rotation going there, then you've got problems because you've got JT on one side. If you can get a pass rush on the other, you're going to create a lot of headaches for offensive head coaches on other teams because then all of a sudden you've got a game plan against two defensive ends that are coming hot off the edge with Mike Hall in the middle. And offensive coordinators at any level of football will tell you that interior pressure is more difficult to handle than you know an, an edge rusher or something like that just because it's hard to game plan around. Like, if Mike Hall is doing what he's going to do in the middle, presumably, then I mean, then you've got problems because all of these, all of these offensive lines, all of these game plans for for opposing teams, they're not going to know what to do. So, if you can just get anything, like you know, you mentioned, um, you might, you know, you mentioned Kenyatta Jackson, like having a having a third pass rusher that can get to the quarterback is not a bad thing. So. You know, you don't have, you know, it doesn't have to be, you said 10 sack guy, like you don't have to get a 10, you don't have to have 10 sack capability out of the other side opposite JT to Maloa. If you have 
five or six sack capability coming out of them and you can just rotate keep those guys fresh that's going to be a problem and i think that that is going to be what leads ohio state's defensive line to more success because you know what you're getting in some of these guys on the on the defensive line or at least you hope you know what you're getting from some of these guys on the defensive line if you can get some kind of production from from your depth on that position i mean you're looking pretty good Nathan, this is the first time that we've talked to Ryan Day since Tawan Malone and Lorenzo Styles showed up on the roster. Um, what did he have to say about those two guys? Well, in, Malone in particular, um, we already suspected that this was something that really raised the floor and 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 bolstered the depth of that defensive interior. And I think that's maybe um, at least what it does. That you know, I I think it's a, a guy that with his experience and his talent, like he's going to push for starter snaps. I would assume um, that at least everybody else is going to have to you know step their game up and 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 hold on to, to those jobs, whether that's Ty Hamilton, Mike Hall Jr., etc. Um, that may not be apparent right away. It's just to have to throw another guy in the mix who you can talk about in that way, especially because the defensive interior is such a rotation you know that that guy's going to get what 15 20 snaps a game regardless so when you when you take the 15 or 20 uh that were going to be there anyway and now you enhance them it's kind of a building off of what andrew was just talking about you start to see the ripple effects through the whole defense and you have to rotate on the defensive line so the more the the every every spot that you can raise the talent a little bit um it takes one more vulnerability out of it. it takes that that one time that you didn't uh, that you would have got to the quarterback, but you didn't. That one time that a a run fit um, or you know a, a hole gets gets broken because a guy wasn't in position to 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 stop the guy. And um, I think that Malone in that mix is going to be looked at. It, he has the potential, I would say, that we get to November, December. And people are nationally writing stories about, oh, the most important transfer portal pickups of the offseason. I think Malone and Igbenosin, both, um, coincidentally, both from the same program at Ole Miss, mm-hmm. could both be very prominent on that those sorts of conversations. Because you're taking SEC talent and plugging it onto a roster that uh, needed help at both of those places but didn't necessarily need a guy at the top of the depth chart. Both of them have the talent to push for that sort of role. It feels like the interior defensive line, outside of Mike Hall, I don't think we'd have a – even with Mike Hall, to be honest with you, because as much as they're going to rotate, I know we did a pod earlier in the spring where we were talking about if Mike Hall is having to play north of 35 snaps, something went terribly wrong here. That's just not how this works. On any given – I think that times last year – there were times when you would look out on the defensive line and it'd be key moments you'd go, why is that guy in the game and why isn't this guy in the game? Whether it was because of injuries or just a weird rotation moment. It feels like, especially on the interior, we won't be saying that as much, even if guys are 100% healthy. Now, fourth quarter, third and two, and you're trying to win the game, Mike Hall should probably be on the field. But outside of that specific moment, I think there's enough depth there now when you add a guy like Taiwan Malone. You've legitimately got four guys that you can kind of throw into there, and we'll see if maybe, you know, Jaden McKenzie is now in his, what is his, 
fifth year in the program can throw, can make it five, and we'll see if Hero Canoe can make it six. But there does seem to be promise that the top four are of high quality with a maybe a chance you get to six, which back to, we haven't really seen that since 2019 either. I'm not sure it's fair to criticize a rotation at all. There certainly are defensive linemen that play a ton more snaps than Ohio State's defensive linemen do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Newton from Illinois, the defensive tackle, I noticed, played a ton of snaps last year and didn't seem to hold him back. Uh, he did pretty well, uh, was almost a preseason defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. But I think it's more fair to criticize how you rotate. And when you can take someone like Malone and plug him in, and now that you're going to have, again, third-year uh, production potentially from these these other guys, um, I think that maybe alleviates some of that concern, that you're not rotating down to a, a big drop-off, that if you can get a, a, a just a higher level of play from that entire rotation. So there's one more name that Ryan Day brought up, but I want to talk about him in tandem with how the question was asked because I think he went out of his way to bring him up. So I'm going to wait till after the break to talk about this guy because I, I want to keep the conversation short because I want to pick it back up next week when we drive the bus. So we'll talk about that guy in that room when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Back here on Buckeye Talk. So Ryan Day got asked about the running backs. And I, the reason I waited is we've gotten some rapid fire questions. I brought that up at the beginning of the pot. And one of our texters asked about the running backs. So I'll use that question to also talk about the guy I want to talk about. And here's the question. How is Ohio State going to handle the running back room? Henderson, Williams, Pryor, Hayden, Trainum. Is it possible that every one of them comes back in 2024? Mayan Williams feels like he's been around forever, but is a redshirt junior. Even if Henderson goes pro, do the others stick around? I want to start with, I'm going to use the first part of that question because that's what Ryan Day was asked. How are you going to handle a room where you legitimately have four guys who have played meaningful snaps for you? Like Chip Channel was the starting running back in the Michigan game. Dallin Hayden has had a 100-yard year. Uh, Mayan Williams and, and, and Trayvon Henderson have been your top two guys for the last two years. And Evan Pryor was supposed to be your number three coming into last year before he hurt his knee. Ryan Day got asked how they're going to handle the running backs, and he didn't really talk about the depth first. He went straight to, it's good to have Travion Henderson back. And... I think we all can agree that Travion didn't have the best year last year, whether it was because of both a combination of getting hurt in week three or maybe just didn't have the development he needed. Whatever it is, he clearly has had the J.K. Dobbins experience so far where true freshman year is awesome and then sophomore year it regresses a little bit. Is there anything to the fact that Ryan Day got asked about his running back depth and the first name and that he talked about was Travion Henderson and then had to backtrack and make sure he mentioned everybody else? Oh, I think it's I think that's notable. And it's I think this is where you, you parse language, right? Um mm-hmm. it's nice to have as I want to exactly the quote. It's um one of the things we're most excited about is having a healthy Trevion back. Yeah. You really didn't get a chance to see a healthy Trevion last year. And when I hear that, I don't hear well, he's cleared to play. It's good to have him cleared to play. I hear 
it's good to have him doing the things that Trevion Henderson is, has shown he can do um, in flashes mm-hmm. and that we expect him to do and, and that he can do. So uh, now he's going to get into a, a longer thing here where, yes, he mentions the other running backs and then throws Xavier Johnson's name into that mix because he's taking yeah. some reps back there and being creative. And, and maybe that does mean that um, they will go a little bit deeper than just two and maybe a third guy gets a series or something to to break things up. I still don't expect this to be some sprawling running back by committee thing this fall. Uh, I think Trevian Henderson and Mayan Williams have proven themselves and deserve the benefit of the doubt to be the lead guys in this room. Uh, but when Day talks like that about Henderson, you could tell, I mean, there were so many frustrations last year. Uh, there were frustrations fair or not, I think, by the by the staff. Not that they were disappointed that Henderson was hurt, but that it was just so unpredictable uh, from sometimes from prep to warm up, like whether he was going to be able to play. And Mayan Williams even had a little bit of that. There, it was just hard for them to get a handle on who was available. And, and that was, I think, it, it chews up your game plan a little bit. And, and then obviously Henderson was frustrated, not just frustrated to be hurt, but was frustrated by, as he talked about, um, what he thought was the way he was treated a little bit. So if everybody's back on the same page with that and he's healthy and can stay healthy, it, it definitely raises the, the floor on what that running back group can do. Uh, then I'll ask both of you this question, and Andrew, I'll start with you. Everybody's healthy. This is perfect world scenario where all of a sudden injuries don't exist anymore. So strengthening so the medical staffs have to find something better to do with their lives. How many running backs should have meaningful roles? Uh, all right, now, are you you're saying meaningful roles in the program? They are like, normal, they, like they are special teams a, they and offense. Are you saying no, just, no. okay, just not offense. running back? Playing running back. Okay. Well, no, because I was thinking, like, do you want to, like, a running back at returner or running back, like, on special teams? Um, Just running back. How many guys should get backfield carries in a yeah, game where yes. nobody gets hurt? And it's uh, not yes. a blowout scenario. And it's, yes, it's a legitimate game where it's going to be a four quarter right. football game. Three. Um, I think three is the correct number. I think that's a, that's a position. If there was, if there was a position, on a football team where you're okay rotating guys, where you're okay keeping guys fresh, keeping guys, you know, moving throughout the game. Yeah. Uh, running backs it. So I think that you can find guys with different roles where, you know, you have more of a power back. He's your short yardage. He's your red zone guy. You have a guy who can come in on first downs. He's a little bit of everything. You need a speed guy who can come out of the backfield and uh, you know, catch some passes. Like I think three is the ideal number. Now, I mean, all, like you mentioned all of the guys at running back, right? Like that's not a I, – I, I don't think that that – and I'm not saying you were saying that. I just don't look at that as like a problem, right? Like I, I just look at this as, like I said, if you're going to rotate at any position, you, you're okay doing it at running back. Like you're okay having this. I know, you know, when you when you get into, you know, the – you know, I mean the, the middle of the regular season – 
running backs going down isn't exactly uncommon. You know, guys get hurt. Right, but I this, get, right, 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 right. But this is an umbrella where nobody gets hurt. Right, I understand so that. Part of I understand question. that, but guys do get tired. Like, and if if you're gonna keep doing that, I'm okay with kind of wearing down opposing defenses with a mix of three different guys. Because how many other positions on the field can you do that with? Right, like. Not like how like you you're not going to throw out a bunch of different receivers because one's big and one's small and one's fast and one's slower. But you know you you, you don't really do that with running back. You can really diversify an offense. So I I think three is the ideal number. Any more than that, you start to get a little dicey. But I think three is probably where you would want to be in an ideal world. I I agree that three I think is the ideal number for this group. There have okay. certainly been Ohio State backfields, twenty nineteen. There was no need mm-hmm. to play three running backs against, you know, Penn State or Wisconsin or or other, you know, four quarter games. You know, you had J.K. Dobbins to get his twenty carries. You had Master Teague as a a sturdy backup, and then there was no reason to try to mix somebody else in. I could see because again, you know, Dallin Hayden has proven himself a little bit at this point. Is it fair that Dallin Hayden now would have to just take a whole season off? Evan Pryor has hung around and fought for something, and does he need a little taste? And listen, Youngstown State, there's like, they probably have just taken off the board how many running backs might play in that game. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's sky's the limit. They might be pulling people out of the student section. But in 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 a regular game, I think you can find a way to get that third guy a taste. Not a big role. I'm not saying they're going to rotate three running backs. I still think you'll probably have the usual like two-thirds go to one guy, one-third goes to another guy, and then you've got, like I said, a series. But So I think one of the underrated competitions in in the fall is to be third on that chart. Uh, He mentioned Chip Trainum as someone who had a great summer, but Chip is going to have a role, a big role on special teams. He could be in the return mix as he was last year. He'll certainly be out there covering kicks. He's just a physically, he's a special teams ideal almost. And and to have a guy with both his physical talents and veteran savvy, I think is, is a huge asset to have on special teams. So you're going to have him heavily involved in the game. Same as Xavier Johnson. He's going to have a lot of involvement in every game. So really to me, it's, you know, Evan Pryor will be back and healthy to start the preseason camp or cleared to start preseason camp. But I would say right now it's how much does he, – he, I think, is still not as in the mix to me. He'd have to prove it as someone like Hayden. So the question to me is like how much, how many carries does Dallin Hayden deserve against Indiana and how soon? I'm not talking about if it gets to 52 to 10. Has he already taken any carries earlier in the game than that? But I think he is probably the guy right now who gets the most run when it gets to fifty-two to ten. So that that was that was only what is happening with Evan Pryor. He was supposed to be number three. Do we have any indication of his recovery? Ryan Day did say he's full go. Nathan, what about everybody else who misses spray? Emeka Ibuka, uh, uh, Julian Fleming, on down the list. Is this roster, scholarship wise, healthy and ready to go? Ryan Day said, as of. Wednesday, yes, that all those guys who were out in the spring, and we already had indications like Tommy Eichenberg was doing individual drills. Um, Mitchell Melton had done some individual stuff. Pryor had done some individual stuff. Like those guys were, we had reasonable expectations that everybody was going to be back this fall. The only two guys who they know are out are a couple walk-ons, Reese Stocksdale, 
who tore an ACL and, and Zach Herbstreet, who obviously had his recent um, cardiac situation that they're they're trying to figure out. Those are, are guys who are I, I would be surprised if they played this season. So uh, and obviously we're, we're a different role uh, than the guys we're talking about. Scholarship wise, they think everything is fine for preseason camp. So um, Pryor is the one. He's such an intriguing player because we've talked about this before. The guys who get lost on the roster that you come in with, you're a top 100 guy ish. Uh, and he was, and so much promise, so much talent. And then right away, uh, you're, you're, you're lower on the depth chart and then you get hurt and it's a significant injury. And now all of a sudden, then the Dallin Hayden's come along and my Williams is better than everybody thought he was going to be. And now where do you fit in? Um, is this year for him about getting some confidence back and in being in position next year for a bigger role if Henderson and Williams and presumably Trainum are, are all gone and you've had to you, – now he looks like a, a veteran guy in that room. I think running back is steadily creeping up the list of intriguing spots on this roster going into next spring because it's going to be – I mean, they've got a lot of guys. They could very easily lose three with Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson going early and chip training, obviously graduating and moving on with his life. And this is not a thing. It's just Evan Pryor and Dallin Hayden move up the the depth chart, and then they bring in two freshmen and, and, and James Peoples and Jordan Lyle, and they're behind those guys. Or Travion Henderson could come back. Mayan Williams is probably not going to come back because he had a decision to make after this year. And then – you're in a whole different world of, okay, are we looking at transfer portal for some of these guys? So that's like, the offense is, in an, is going to be in an intriguing spot in 2024 because they've had so many guys the last two years who have played significant and meaningful snaps for them. Um, and also for the sake of noting it, obviously these two never really got a chance to have meaningful roles here, but Grant Tuton, Avery Henry, both being medical retirement. So they no longer count against the scholarship target. Yeah, so we uh, that puts Ohio State right at eighty five. I was told by mm-hmm. the people in charge, they believe they are <laughs> right at eighty five. And so, as of right now, we believe that that means Lorenzo Styles is not on scholarship this fall, unless there's something else on this roster that we're not aware of, and maybe we'll get some more clarification of that into next week. Um, now, obviously, as people know, if they've been following. Um, Nigel Glover, who's supposed to be officially visiting this week, somebody Ohio State has been trying to to get in the mix with, a Northwestern transfer who's from the Dayton area. Um, that would, I guess, also probably have to be a gray shirt situation. Um, mm-hmm. the, the person I, somebody I talked to in the program, I said, like, what's up with that? Like, how's that going to work? And they're like, well, we're trying to figure that out. So whether there could potentially still be some movement shifting on the roster, I don't know. We don't have indications that someone's headed out the door, certainly. Um, but do they have to finagle something to, to make all these bodies work? We're not sure. But at least as far as like letter of the NCAA law, they're at 85 now. Okay. So, yeah. Also, there's a, just for the sake of moaning it, there's a recruiting uh, barbecue this weekend. We're in this small little window where – you know, teams can have people on campus, and so there's going to be teenagers at Ohio State this weekend, and we're going to maybe get a chance, maybe get a chance to be weird and sneak around and see if we can see who made it and who didn't make it. But uh, get the text, man. I'll be texting that information out this this on 
Friday evening. Get the text. Get the text. 614-350-3315. This is a great time to get it because you can hear me here. You can get texts like this. You can get texts about, hey, this is who's on campus this week because some of these guys might be priority guys while also putting you in the window for the opening of fall camp. When we come back, there's a couple rapid fire questions we got. We're not going to get to every question because we never get to any every question because, you know, we talk forever on every single question. But I do think there's two intriguing ones that can be the tail end of that pod. And we'll get back to that right here on Buckeye Talk. Back here on Buckeye Talk. So Drew from the 419, I think, put together has a, a really good question for us. It's a very simple question, but I think it gets us. It's a, it's almost like a a JV riding the bus conversation because we're not going full throttle form. It's more just like a, Hey, you know, you might on your way to your destination, maybe you stop here and like get a snack and, you know, use the bathroom and maybe buy a magazine or something like that. So drew from the four one nine, is there a player or position group that you think will surprise players, surprise people this year? Nathan, we'll start with you. It's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that people would still be surprised by because you come out of the spring and everybody's only talking about the positives of everything. Um, So maybe, I guess, the offensive line. I'm going to say tight end. That I think that there is going to be that thing that they've been trying to get for a couple years, which is a second tight end who is either starting caliber or, like, right there. Um, Obviously, they had that for a couple years under Ryan Day, when Ryan Day first started with Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert. And then in 2021, Ruckert was really the lead dog in that group. And last year it was Cade Stover, and there was a gap. And I think they, with between G. Scott Jr. and Joe Royer and Jelani Thurman coming along, and I don't want to raise the expectations too high for him as a true freshman, but it's there's potential there. So something somewhere in that mix, I think they find production and reliability in from the second group. So I know that isn't a really flashy answer because sometimes that's not something that shows up in a spectacular way. But I think what Ryan Day wants his offense to be, um, it's it's really critical for him. He he's been dying for that second one to step up and allow them to do some of the things they want to do. Mine's not really flashy either, so I'm glad you went first. So then you can get all the tomatoes and I can come out and play and do cleanup. I'm going to go with Cameron Martinez as that nickel safety. Whether it's a corner at times or a safety at times, I think that he's probably the best of both worlds right now just because of where he is in the program. He spent some time at cornerback. He spent some time at all the safety spots. They've kind of moved that kid around here. Last year didn't end well for him. I think the last real visual people have of him is him getting spun around in that Michigan game and then Michigan getting another big-time passing touchdown in that game. And it just hasn't clicked yet. And I think I saw enough things in the spring that made me feel comfortable thinking. I don't think he's going to be an an All-American or even an All-Big Ten guy, but I think he can be a quality guy, especially if you're pairing him in a secondary that's also going to have Lathan Ransom, Sonny Styles, Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock. Davis and Igbenosin, you know, those are guys where the expectations maybe are a little higher. Maybe it it is, can you be an All-American? Can you be an All-Big Ten level player? Can you be a first-round drafted type player? I think Cameron Martinez can just be a very, very solid guy who does his job at a high level 
and halfway through the season when we're talking about who are some of the more underrated players who have played a role in why this defense is better. I think Cameron Martinez is going to be a name that we're all going to be saying because he flashed at times when we got to see him in practice. I think he had a pick six on Kyle McCord in one of the practices we saw. And I I think that's been a now four-year project, and I think we're going to start seeing it pay off here in 2023. Andrew, any position groups or people that you think might surprise some, some fans this year? Well, I've been told Ohio State receivers are good, um, so I think that they're going to be good again. No. Um, I've been thinking about the pod that we did where we talked about, you know, where, where we had the poll, basically. We talked about players of the year. And the more I thought about, like, I, I didn't go into it with this answer, but Steven convinced me of quarterback. I, like, I, I it's not a surprise to say Ohio State quarterback is going to be really good. I think you're going to get borderline offensive player of the year play from quarterback. I think that that's going to be kind of what qualifies as a surprise. Like going into the year right now, I, I don't think, I, I don't think Ohio state fans listening to this are going to say, you know, Oh, well, you know, Ohio state's going to have a good quarterback. No kidding. Like I, I think Ohio state has a chance to have a really, really good year out of comic core because, you know, we were talking about the offensive line, like the, the running back room, you, you feel really good about where that's at depth wise receiver i mean obviously nathan just mentioned tight end like we're mentioning all of the positions around quarterback and if there's one thing that ohio state can do if there's one thing that that ryan day can do with with his offense is that you can scheme up stuff for a quarterback so i I think you're gonna get really really high level quarterback play this year you know and i think that that would qualify as a surprise for a lot of people i think that you know, I, I, I mean, presuming it's going to be Kyle McCord. I mean, we don't know the answer to that, obviously, yet. But if it's Kyle McCord, I, I don't I don't think it really matters. I think whoever kind of takes that role is going to have a really, really strong season. And I think when you look at the end of the year, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, if that player is kind of garnering Offensive Player of the Year attention. So you think – that they that whatever what CJ Stroud was as a as a first year starter, what Justin Fields was as a first year starter, what Dwayne Haskins was as a first year starter, that it'll just continue. Yeah, like because like I said, you know the you look at the supporting evidence, right? Like like what are like who, who have we talked about? I mean, since I've gotten here, who have we talked about on this podcast, right? Marvin Harrison Jr., insane. And when we talked about Marvin Harrison Jr., we were like, okay, well, if defenses do that, they're just going to throw the ball to Buka and you have Fleming there. It's going to be really good at receiver. Well, Cade Stover, Nathan mentioned him as, as kind of the surprise guy and, and like the surprise unit. Like that's a guy who you're feeling pretty good about going into 2023 as well. The running back depth, we just spent a decent amount of time talking about that and kind of how, how do you manage that? You've got a bunch of weapons there. You've got a bunch of options there. We're talking about everything but quarterback, and obviously we talk about quarterback a lot just in how, you know, in what's going to happen. When is the decision going to be made? When do you want to have a decision made? When is the ideal time? Like we talked everything about quarterback, and I just think that with all of this support around you, like you've got a really nice system going, and obviously you have some questions that on the offensive line and, and specifically a tackle, but if – I just think that we've talked about everything else to the point where everything else you can pretty much mark down is going to be some level of pretty good, you know, I mean, borderline elite. Why not quarterback? Like, if you've got everything else there, I mean, why not quarterback? Like, 
this is a team that I think is going to be able to scheme some stuff up for a guy if you have to. And, and I think you're going to make a quarterback look really, really good. Yeah, I actually almost said quarterback because I think they will do what you're saying. Like they will game plan and figure out a way to move the ball and produce at quarterback. I think that the lingering question at quarterback is um, making, you know, leading a drive with the game on the line back against the wall, that sort of thing. Uh, but those things, it's it's very hard to really predict that until you see it on a field. I think just in terms of the the production level, whoever wins this job, I think you're right. I think it, it's still high. And that doesn't sound like it should be a surprise, given what we've seen from the quarterbacks in the last couple of years. But at some, I actually, I texted this out before, right before we went on. I went on vacation because I looked it up because I, I thought I honestly think this is very interesting. Ohio State has had three straight Heisman tro- Trophy finalists and three straight first round draft picks. The only other team with three straight, obviously is Alabama. The only team with more since 2000, just first round draft picks in general, at quarterback is USC. And that was back when like Carson Palmer and Matt and you add all that in. And then Caleb Williams will add to that. What Ohio state is doing right now. Isn't normal. There's a long list of schools who have first round draft picks at quarterback, but you'll have one here and there. It's here because there's no real math to quarterback. So the fact that we're asking Ohio State to do it for a fourth time, just period, since 2000 is already crazy. We're asking them to do it for a fourth time in a row. So if you are of the mindset that maybe it does take a step back, maybe it does just because that's how this position works. I wouldn't be shocked if there are more people in that group that maybe are willing to admit, which is why I think this is a good thing to use as it might be coming to you as a, as a positive surprise if, oh, it's a new quarterback and it's just the same thing that we've seen for the last now five years is that Ohio State's quarterbacks are first round Heisman Trophy level. One more question that we'll get into here. And I'm eliminating the Michigan game from this conversation because I actually want it to be a conversation and not just a, well, duh, it's the Michigan game because they're probably both going to be at worst, have won losses and fighting for a playoff spot. What game do you think will be the most exciting for fans to watch and what game will be the most boring and define exciting and boring in your definition? So let's do the exciting one first, and I'm going to go first. Um, I'm not going to be at this game. Yeah, I know. I love, <laughs> I love when you get to make the rules. I think the Wisconsin game is going to be the most exciting game of the year. I think when you throw in the Luke Fickle aspect of it, I think when you throw in the fact that I think Wisconsin might be good, I think they finished first, if I'm remembering that correctly, in the Big Ten West for our, our uh, preseason poll. They might be good. Yep. They might be a top 15, top 10 team this year. By one point, yeah. They might be a top 15, top 10 team this year. They might be ranked in the top 10 when that game comes around. Ohio State's going to be coming off – the high of the Penn State game, which will probably be a top 10, maybe even like top seven game. And so fans are gearing right back up for another playoff resume building type of game. And it's at Camp Randall, which they haven't been to. I mean, they've played Wisconsin a lot over the last five years here, but they haven't been to Camp Randall, I believe, since I think either 17 or 16. So I think that game's and I think it might even be a primetime game at 730. So I think that game is going to have a little bit of juice to it, both leading up to it. And then obviously the game itself is going to be pretty unique. 
So exciting for me is the buildup of what the game means to the season in terms of one team potentially having national championship hopes or college football playoff hopes or Big Ten championship hopes. But also, is there an extra narrative or storyline to it that just adds – if the juice is at 95, it gets it over the top because it adds another 5 to 10% of juice. Nathan? Yeah, I mean, to me, exciting is the, the stakes and then the game kind of the play living up to the hype. You know, I remember 2019 is a good example. Like, we thought going into that year that games like Wisconsin and Michigan State in the regular season were maybe going to be tough ones for Ohio State, and they turned out not to be that much of a hindrance for, for that team. So uh, even though I, on my uh, predictions, had picked Wisconsin as the one of the first 11 that Ohio State would lose, I'm going to pick another game as the most exciting. And uh, it's, I think it's probably the one Andrew might have been ready to pick too. But uh, Penn State could be undefeated when it comes to Ohio State on October 21st. And if the Drew Aller thing hits, then we're all probably a little bit low on Penn State because there's a lot of talent at a lot of other places on that roster. And that's a program that more than any other in the Big Ten, except for Michigan these last two years, had proven its ability to hang with Ohio State. Wasn't beating them all the time, but was really making it uh, annoying, making it tough for them in a lot of games in a way that a lot of Big Ten opponents, even some of the other better Big Ten opponents, weren't doing. And you wonder how long kind of like with the Michigan thing, like how long does it go until Penn state finally flips the table? So uh, it won't be an easy one for them to come to Ohio state and do it. But I think there's going to be some real juice for that game too. Cause again, I think look at Penn state's early schedule should be undefeated. And that will be kind of one of those games that college football, uh, the, the focus centers on Ohio stadium that day. Mr. Gillis. Yeah, th- this was really hard for me to think because I think there are two games that are neck and neck. I think it's Penn State and Notre Dame. Um, I lean Penn State because I think Penn State has the higher upside. Like, like Nathan. I mean, Nathan just kind of said a lot of what I was going to say, right? Like, if Aller, if the Aller thing hits, like Penn State's going to be really good, and they're probably going to be undefeated going into the going into the horseshoe. So what is what is that game right? Like what is that game like? That's three versus six, four versus something like that. Like you're talking about a really really highly rated matchup where both teams are probably undefeated. Um, you know, Ohio State having to go to Notre Dame is probably the toughest game that either one of those two teams is going to have to play early. So like Ohio State gets through that. You're I mean, there's not really going to be a, uh, a a you know. There's not really going to be another game on either team's schedule. So I lean Penn State. I think you know for a fact, or I guess we we have a pretty good understanding, and I think it's pretty fair to say that Sam Hartman's probably, probably going to be pretty good for Notre Dame, right? Like I, I feel that going – I feel more confident that Sam Hartman will be good going into this season, but I think Aller can be better if that makes any kind of sense. Like, I think Hartman has the higher floor at Notre Dame. So, like, if you're talking excitement as in buildup and excitement as in game, I kind of view those two things equally where 
you know, you, you need the week leading into it. You need the storylines. You need the stakes. I, I lean Penn State because it's a Big Ten matchup because both teams are probably going to be undefeated going into that game because of everything that we've talked about because, I mean, this is going to be the first major test for Ohio State in terms of a Big Ten championship or making it to a Big Ten championship. And if Aller's good, then you're talking about a game where, okay, this has a really, really high ceiling of a football game. You know, this could be a 2017 level Ohio State Penn State game, right? Like this could be a really high scoring, fun, exciting football game. Exciting football games can also be 20 to 17, but I just think that this has the potential to really kind of go off the rails, if you will. And and just have a just we could have a really really fun day at uh, at Ohio Stadium. So I think it's Penn State, but Notre Dame Notre Dame is a close second just because I think it's the safer choice. Eh, I don't know if I believe in Drew yet, and I don't know if I believe in Sam Hartman yet. That's why I picked Wisconsin, though. Tanner Mordecai is not much better than either one of those two quarterbacks right now and off perception right now. So. I get it. Penn State was probably second for me. Nathan, I'm going to let you go for it first with the boring one. Um, yeah. Most bo- most boring game and why? So the road trip that I'm most looking forward to is November 4th at Rutgers because, you know, every other year we get to make this trip, go into New York City, true. see a show, get it some dinner, get a slice, have some fun. Um, I am not looking forward to being at that SHI stadium and watching a football game the next day at all. It uh, there's there's no juice for this game. It's and it comes right before you know right after Ohio State played Penn State and Wisconsin. So technically, obviously, if they take a loss somewhere in there, then the stakes of any game after it raise. But we still see a pretty significant gap between obviously Ohio State and Rutgers. And the good thing about it is it's the last time they'll have to go to Rutgers. Hopefully. For a while, I mean, they're not going to have to go there every with with quite the same regularity. So Woo! that's a bummer. That's well, it's a bummer for travel. I mean, here's the thing: w- would I rather yeah, go fair. to Rutgers or Indiana? Uh, Indiana's easier to get to, but Rutgers is the funner trip because again, New York City. So it's true. Uh, it's just I, I think that game will be an afterthought. It, it comes right after that stretch and right before the closing stretch of the season. So Michigan State, Minnesota, and then the game at Michigan. And Rutgers in the middle sort of just seems like an afterthought. And it typically is. I don't know if that's ever going to change. And uh, it's good for the Big Ten. It's good for Rutgers that they don't have to play Ohio State every year. And you can mix it up a little bit for both of these programs. So that's my pick. Most boring game. I'm already kind of asleep thinking about it. Andrew? Is it cheating to say Youngstown State? Like, is yes, that an acceptable answer. answer? It's it's acceptable. For you? I didn't say Youngstown State because I think, yeah, I think there'll actually we be could... some, you know, Jim Tressel will be involved and it's, it's the yeah. home opener and all I, that stuff. So that's why I didn't pick I, it. But I, as far as like the worst football. Yeah, I, I, I get why you're picking it. I did not pick either the Youngstown State game or the Western Kentucky game because Yes, they're going to win by 40 at least, but what makes it exciting is we're going to get to see the young guys. You know, Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis might get an opportunity out there. Um, Jelani Thurman might get an an opportunity out there. Calvin Simpson-Hunt, Jermaine Matthews. Those are probably the only two games 
where it's like guaranteed that we're going to see true freshman play because it's still within their red shirt windows and you don't want you're not going to get Marvin Harrison Jr. hurt playing Youngstown State. That's ridiculous. So I, I understand from a, a quality of play standpoint, Youngstown State's probably the most boring game because every sixth play is probably going to be an Ohio State touchdown. But if you're interested in the future, the second half, probably midway through the third quarter and on, is where you're going to be making your money at in this game because you get to watch and see what comes next. Yeah, I hear that. I, I just I look at that game and it's a week after. I mean, I mean, what if Kyle McCord's the starting quarterback? Let's assume that he's the starting quarterback going into the season, and he goes to Indiana and Ohio State's four touchdown favorites, and they look really good against Indiana, right? Like they have a really good game against Indiana. Yeah, that kind of makes people a little bit more excited to see the, you know, what the offense is going to look like. I just, you know, I, I hear what Steven's saying about learning a lot about that team, um, you know, you're, you're about the future teams, I guess, from, from you know, the what, what are the 2024 and 2025 Ohio State Buckeyes look like? You know, that's a good point. But even the following week against Western Kentucky, like, that's the buildup to the Notre Dame game, right? Like, that's the game. Like, Western Kentucky is still kind of a fun football outfit, right? Like, they've got, a, you know, a good offense. You know, they're a solid G5 team. Like, that's a program that, you know, Ohio State's going to beat them, but that's a program where, okay, Ohio State is now in ramp-up mode to get ready for Notre Dame. Like, okay, now we've, we're starting to get some sample size here of, of starting quarterback, you know, Kyle McCord, let's say. You're starting to get some sample size of McCord. You're starting to get some sample size of, okay, yeah, they haven't really played a ton of uh, a ton of quality on the offensive line, but how does this defensive line look? Is, the, is this the rotation that they're going to use throughout the rest of the season? The reason I didn't say Rutgers is because, like Nathan said, what if you lose to Penn State like or, or Wisconsin like you guys were talking about? Like, What if you lose to one of those games – then every game becomes, okay, you have to win. You have to – not only do you have to win, like, I mean, maybe you have – I mean, you have to look really good at that point because you're going into Michigan State, Minnesota, and Michigan to end the year. Like, that's kind of your final push towards the end of the season. So, yeah, I, I just think that the Rutgers game – yeah, I, I, I just – the Youngstown State game, I'm just, I'm just really, really – I just think that that one's going to be a snoozer. Yeah, that Rutgers game is not going to be close. No. It doesn't matter what happens in that yeah. Penn State-Wisconsin game. Um, so I went a totally different route. I picked the Minnesota game, and it's under the guise of, what if Ohio State and Michigan are just awesome again, like they were last year? And the Michigan-Rutgers game, I'm all there with you, Nathan. That game is going to be a, a bloodbath for, for Rutgers. Michigan State – might not be good, but at least we can see if Kyle McCord can keep – or Devin Brown can do what C.J. Stroud did the last two years and just, like, put on a, a fireworks show. That might just – you know what I'm saying? That might be the quarterback had 386 yards and five touchdowns and only had four incompletions, while Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming all had 100-plus yards and a touchdown each. So that, that makes that exciting is just some highlights. What if Michigan and Ohio State are both undefeated and while Michigan has to play Maryland the week before, Ohio State's got to play Minnesota. And we're all doing what we did this past year, where we're all just, can we get through this week and get through what, get to what everybody actually wants to get to? But unlike this past year and in 2018, 
where Ohio State kind of messed around and let Maryland hang around and make it more exciting than it needed to be, Ohio State just kind of puts their foot on the gas and gets done with Minnesota like they did with Michigan State in 2021 so we can move forward. But then we have to sit there through another 30 minutes of football before we get to what everybody is really here to see, and that's Ohio State versus Michigan. Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's it's stakes and hype, and the stakes will be pretty big for that because if, if Ohio State were undefeated, you can't stub your toe. You can't open yeah. the door for then now a second loss at Michigan knocks you out. Um, which is, you know, that's the they almost stubbed their toe like that at Maryland last year, but it's also a game where this the the hype is already kind of jumping past that game onto the next week, and uh, you could talk about that, you know, bring up your trap games, whatever. Um, but I, I think you make a good point that I it's and it's also just not. I mean, it's a Big Ten West opponent. It's like a boring Big Ten West opponent. I was mm-hmm. I used Minnesota as an example talking about kind of the difference between the SEC and the Big Ten and about how you can go so deep in the SEC with like rabid fan bases and mm-hmm. like Minnesota is a pretty good program, but it's not like there's a crazy Minnesota football nation out there that yeah. people talk about. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, it's you know it's also you know does, does PJ Fleck uh, um, any of this stuff that's come out in the past week does that stick to him? I don't know. Is that something people are still talking about, but uh, it, it it has the ability, like you said, but then I think it comes down to Ohio State's execution. Like in 2021, we thought that Michigan State game was going to be a tough game, and and Stroud came out and just took the roof off. Well, I guess the roof's already off at Ohio Stadium. You know what I'm saying? And then, uh, the, yeah. But then the next year, it wasn't. The next, Maryland was not a boring game, and nor was it in 2018, like you said. So yeah. then it, it, it comes down to execution. So... You know what games <laughs> we're, I'm glad somebody asked that question before the season, because one thing I'm not going to do this year is uh, I think it's funny, but it's kind of, we've done it enough times now that we can probably move on from it. I'm not going to spend game preview pods telling you a game's going to be boring in Ohio. It's going to win by 50. I think we need to, I, I think we, it, everybody deserves one pod where we just kind of take them seriously. Even if we know the score is going to be 45 to seven and we'll give Rutgers it's due during that week. And then we'll get back to talking about what show Nathan is going to see in New York city on Friday night, because that's what everybody is really here for. So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping book of Mormon. That's what I'm going to try to get done this year. Mm. I haven't seen it. Want to see it a long time. I think that's, I think that's what I'm going to try to get. Mm. Andrew so has never are, been to New York city. So You've we'll never been to, to New York City. Yeah, so I really, I really screwed up in. there. Um, you know, I, I so as mentioned, you know, I covered the Bengals in 2022, and they played the the Jets in Week Three, and I remember I had to book late. You know, I got the job late. You know, I had to book late. And I was like, all right, well, I'm kind of far away from New York City, blah blah blah, and I went to dinner with some of the other writers in like Hoboken. So I saw the skyline of New York City but I have never actually stepped foot in New York city. Like I, it was very funny driving down, like just looking at everything being like, Oh, that looks pretty cool. Wish I could go there, but I just didn't have time to make it. So I would like to go to New York city. I feel like I would like to be, you know, kind of in that, uh, in that sprawl for a little bit, but hopefully we'll be able to do that. Well, the night of November 3rd, you can. You can take the train down like we do and spend some time in New York City and then get up and cover a game that will probably be at 3.30 because every time we go to Rutgers, that game seems to be at 3.30. So Often. 
so we're officially in season mode. Starting next week, we'll start previewing fall camp. We'll drive the bus, and you know, and next Thursday we're off and running. We're, we're off and run, running. The season is here. It's did everybody have a good off season? How did, was everybody kind of kind of getting antsy there the last couple of weeks? Uh, I my summer felt like it was over before it started. It was it was mm. bizarre. Uh, but I, Big Ten Media Days kind of got me in the right frame of mind, I think, and now kind of recalibrated for what's going to be around on top of us starting next week. Andrew, are you excited to cover the Buckeyes? Yeah, well, I mean... It, we'll be back in college football. Yeah, my, my, my <laughs> offseason changed dramatically in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, so I uh, it, it shifted gears pretty significantly. So I think Nathan's right. You know, I think Big Ten Media Day kind of put you in the in the right frame of mind. It kind of gave me some, gave me some ideas. It, it kind of put me, um, you know, hearing what uh, I know some of this program stuff that, you know, coaches talk about as PR, but um, kind of had me excited about certain programs. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Maryland brings. I'm curious to see what Wisconsin brings. There's certain things that I, uh, that I'm, that I'm looking forward to now. I kind of gave you that extra juice. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. We'll be back on Monday with, Another market down Monday, Nathan. You want to give a sneak peek of what this time will be about? Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> okay, Jim Harbaugh. With the no. Well, then I guess you guys will have to find out on Monday as we get into the season mode, and you know we'll start. Like I said, sign up for the text. This is a great time to be signing up for the text. I feel like I've turned into Nathan and Doug because all I'm doing is promoting the text every two seconds. 614-350-3315. Sign up for the text as we head into you know, the fall camp here. For Nathan, for Andrew, I'm Steven. And that is your new edition of Buckeye Talk.